the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus claimed to have authority to rise from the dead. In fact, over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his death on the cross. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That many eyewitnesses would be outstanding evidence in any court in the land. And we as Christians know that our faith hinges on the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let's consider, how do we know that Jesus was a man? How did we know that he had human nature? Imagine yourself in the classroom with Jesus. He went to the same high school as you, all right? Would he be the smartest kid in the class? I mean, you would think he'd know history pretty well. How about geology? He made the world. Bible? Get out. He would ace that for sure. Could he throw a baseball 200 miles an hour? You know, thinking that way, I think, is the wrong way to think about Jesus' humanity. He limited himself in becoming a man, but he didn't lessen himself. He remained fully God. He limited himself by taking a role in which the Father was greater. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The Bible says that Jesus took the form of a man. He became a human being in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this can be a hard concept to grasp. On earth, Jesus could not be everywhere at the same time. We know that. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He could have called on more than 10,000 angels to rescue him from the cross. But he went there for us. The Council of Chalcedon... In 451, explains it this way. Jesus exists in two natures, which exist without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The difference of the natures, having been in no wise taken away by reason of the union, but rather the properties of each being preserved and both concurring in one person. Man, I'm so glad they made it so clear. All right, here's what they're saying. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, not 50-50. Okay? It's poor math, I guess, 
but excellent theology. Jesus wasn't God indwelling a man. That's us. Jesus was not a man who became God. Cults will teach you can become God. He wasn't God appearing as a man. That was a heresy of the early church called docetism. He combined two natures in one personality. Fully God, fully man. But we're considering now Jesus' manhood, his humanity. What other reasons or proof do we have that Jesus was really a man, not just God pretending to be a man? He had a human birth. Luke 2, 7. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. We understand that Jesus had a regular pregnancy and gestation of nine months. I don't think Mary hurried him out of her womb at three months so he could get a head start on his ministry. No, he had a normal human birth. Secondly, he grew like us. Tells us that in Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And in favor with God and man. So he grew physically. He grew from a baby to a man. He grew mentally and emotionally and spiritually, just like we do. Three, he experienced emotions. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see a whole plethora of emotions that Jesus experienced, like grief, sorrow, amazement, love, wonder, anger, distress, compassion, just like us. One of my favorite Jesus movies is the one called Matthew. I call that the Smiling Jesus movie. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. But I just love how the Jesus portrayed in that movie is always smiling, joyful. And I I believe that's how Jesus was. Or why would children want to climb on his lap? Number four, he had needs. The Bible tells us in the Gospels, Jesus got tired, hungry, thirsty, felt pain, was tempted, died. The human experience, he experienced it. But now let's dive a little deeper. Why did God become a man in Jesus? Important things to consider here. The first is to reveal God to man. John 14, 9 says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Peter or Philip, rather. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is like a a photo of God the Father to us. Secondly, to show us how to live. Jesus said in John 13, 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And that, that was a foot washing story. Jesus raised the bar of human existence. This is what it's like to be a human being and how to live as a real human being. Thirdly, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I'm glad he did. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He defeated Satan for us. Fourthly, he came 
to provide a sacrifice for sin. In John 1.29, the next day John the Baptist, is the he, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He became our mediator between us and God. And fifthly, to become our high priest. Hebrews 2.16 and 17. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So because Jesus became a man, he could relate to everything we go through and meet all our needs. He was tired so as to give us rest. He was hungry. Yet he was the bread of life. He got thirsty, yet gives us living water. He felt pain, yet heals our diseases. He was tempted, yet never sinned. He prayed and also answers prayers. He died, but gives us life. Now I want to consider the the final or fourth level of relationship. You remember this two weeks ago, I said there were four levels of relationship, getting to know someone. The first level is the recognition level. You learn someone's name. Then the acquaintance level, where you just find out a few facts about them. Then the friendship level, where you know more about them and you, you actually like them and want to be with them and get to know them better. The fourth level is the intimacy level. To know someone better, you want to know what's important to them. What makes them tick? What's their heart? What do they really value? You, you, if you're in an intimate relationship with someone, you want to know those things. And Jesus wants us to know those things about him. So let me share with you three things about Jesus's what he values. Jesus communicated his values through statements called commandments. Now, I know that sounds negative, commandments, but it's really a positive because commandments are borders around us for our own good. Jesus said in Matthew 519, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Three commandments were central in Jesus' teaching. The first one was to love God. Matthew 22, 37 and 38. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one was to love others. That passage continues. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The second commandment is to love your neighbor. Not just love your friends, your buddies, the people like you, your neighbor. That could be anyone and everyone, even your enemy. The third one was a new one to love fellow Christians. And that's in John 13, 
34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. Different denominations, different ways of worship, but we love them as Jesus commands. If we love Jesus, we'll keep his commandments. I would say, devote your best effort of your life there in Jesus' commandments. To love God, love your neighbor, and love your fellow Christian. Secondly, Jesus communicated his values through stories called parables. Parables were stories that Jesus told and others of that culture where you would take a simple known truth and clarify something unknown. And they almost always have one meaning. Don't allegorize them by trying to make meaning of every little detail. They usually have one main point. Jesus' parables teach us he highly values the following things. The kingdom of God. Forgiveness. Grace. Responsiveness to God. Accepting his word. Finding the lost. Stewardship. Giving. And humility. Those are some of the main themes of the parables that Jesus taught. And thirdly, Jesus communicated his values through his sacrifice on the cross. He valued you so much, he left heaven, his throne, where everything was great, to come to this earth to take on the form of a human being to suffer and die for you. And if you would have been the only person on the earth, he still would have done that. He loves you that much. So to continue to know the one who loves you so much requires time. I encourage you, spend time with him daily in the word and in prayer. Spend time with him weekly in corporate worship. We need each other. We need fellowship with other believers who we have a common faith that strengthens our faith. And we see Jesus through other people who love him and they help us to grow in our faith. Let's let's pray. So, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as, as we're praying here now. I thank you so much for coming. What if the Father and you and the Holy Spirit said, ah, it's not worth it. We'll start over. But you wanted to come and the Father sent you. And the Holy Spirit now follows up your ministry. So you wanted to come and redeem us. Thank you. We want to know you better. There's no one like you. And Lord, I would pray that this morning, under the sound of my voice, if perhaps there's someone here that doesn't have that personal relationship with you, they may say, well, I'm a, I think I'm a good person. I go to church every once in a while. But no, that intimate relationship, if they are feeling right now a lack there and realize I don't have that, I want that. 
that right there where they're seated, they could say, Jesus, I want to know you. Would you forgive my sin? Come in my heart. Live in me. And he will. I'm glad, Lord, that we could gather together in this place. And Christians are gathering all over this world today. And we're so glad for that. And they're worshiping you. You are worthy. But I'm glad we could be here today to praise you. Work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song. Let's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank him for who he is and how much he does love us that he would shed his blood on the cross willingly for us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures.